Hello and welcome to Agri-Food Matters, the podcast from the UCD School of Agriculture and Food Science that aims to shed light on the topics that really matter in the world of agriculture and food. I'm Sean Duke and I'll be your host for this episode, episode 8 in our series. Let's head over straight away and hear from Judy Dowsett, the co-producer of the podcast and a regular contributor. Well, what's on the agenda for this episode, Judy? Hi, Sean. So, yeah, today we're talking about biodiversity, um, which is really relevant given the recent UN Climate Change Conference held in Glasgow. Um, A recent bull beer survey on consumers and sustainability um, found that people really did want to make a difference when it came to their lifestyle and buying habits, um, with 77% having made um, um, a conscious decision to buy uh, products which have less packaging and 87% um, really making efforts to reduce their food waste. Um, And yet they found the biodiversity isn't on the radar of a lot of consumers. And it seems that people aren't really sure what it is. And so that's why today we've invited two researchers from the School of Agriculture and Food Science in UCD to tell us a bit more about the research that they've been doing, um, which has led to really impactful changes in Irish farming and Irish landscapes. Um, So it seems that we've become really dependent on a narrow range of crops and pasture, which provide food for grazing animals. Um, And they have found that by making small changes, such as increasing the range of plants grown to feed cattle, um, we can see really significant impacts on how much fertiliser farmers need um, and also how much food can be produced. You know, if you think about it, um, over 60% of land use in Ireland um, is is, um, being used for agriculture. So biodiversity and agriculture are really so deeply linked. Um, And researchers are increasingly finding that nature has the solution for many of the problems um, that we find um, um, in in farming and agriculture that we used to try to manage with chemicals. So the the solution is in biology rather than in chemistry. Um, And so by changing the variety and the range of plant species, um, we can impact on the range and health of animal species, reducing fertilizer use, um, which then has an impact on water quality and pollinator populations, which in fact we're going to be revisiting in our next episode. So all of this good news while reducing costs for farmers and producing the same or even more nutritious fodder for beef cattle, meaning that they could reach their optimum weight quicker. So all in all, Sean, biodiversity is a really good news story. Um, It's a real win-win. And there's a load of really interesting and far-reaching research which is being done Um, which we're going to touch on um, today, all of the same goal of improving the environmental picture um, while maintaining jobs and livelihoods. So I hope you enjoy today, Sean. Thanks. Thanks for setting the scene there for us, Julie. Let's hear first now from Dr. Barry John McMahon, who is looking at the interaction between agricultural systems and bird populations. I began by asking Barry how serious he thought the problem of biodiversity loss was here in Ireland and around the world. To, to give you one sort of figure, if you look at the, the, 
biomass of vertebrates that has declined since 1970 to 2016, that's 68% of that biomass has been wiped off our balance sheet, okay? So that's a really worrying statistic. And in relation to, to that, many people would say, well, that doesn't necessarily relate to Ireland. That's happening in other parts of the world. Well, that's actually not the case at all because, you know, 25% of our bird species in Ireland are red listed, i.e. they're in danger of extinction or they have been declining rapidly over the last, say, 10, 15 years. That's kind of scary. I remember uh, did a piece on curlew, but I guess it's a, oh, lots of different species are under threat. Yeah, so I mean, the curly was one of the really glaring examples of that. But like, you could sort of look at if you specifically look, showing at the at the breeding birds, we could say that maybe seventy percent of the breeding bird species that are that are red listed would be said to be farmland birds. Okay, one of those is curly, but there are a range of others. In actual fact, you've hit on a, a very interesting species because. Um, Ground nesting birds with the curly was one of are amongst the, the sort of the cohort or the, the, the group that are being most heavily impacted by changes in agriculture in recent years. And one thing about biodiversity that I feel I'm sure others do as well is it seems so huge, you know, like, God, what can we possibly do here? I, I mean, is, is, it, is it as bleak? I mean, what, what are you seeing and what as a scientist do you think we can do about it? My role is to talk about the, the facts and the figures. I'm not here as an advocate in relation to, to biodiversity. But one thing that I would think that I would say is that um, the, the last sort of 20 years have demonstrated that humans have a massive capacity for behavioral change. Okay, we so, can be flexible if we want and yeah, need to be. If we if we need to be. So what we would say we need to bring about these changes very soon. But we have seen changes. In, in our own society in Ireland. So we've seen things like the, the plastic bag tax. That came in overnight and it's been incredibly successful. The way in which we implemented the, the smoking ban in the workplace, that was incredibly successful. Even recently, if you look at the way in which humans have changed their behaviour in relation to COVID, it's been, it was pr- pretty much overnight we were told that we had to change the way we work, the way we live, the way we behave. Um, we didn't enjoy it, but we were able to do it because it was for a greater good. Our survival, of course, we felt was on the line. Well, this is no different, and yeah. this is this is this is something that we are almost uh, we seem to be sleepwalking into. That there are a range of different environmental challenges and and biodiversity loss, and particularly in relation to maintaining the complexity and the resilience of the food system, is is at stake. Sure. Uh, and in terms of agriculture, I mean, obviously, that has been part of the decline. You might mention something about that of biodiversity, but also we can turn it around and make it part of the solution. Yeah, indeed. I mean, um, just the way in which we've simplified landscapes or the way we've simplified uh, production processes. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that we have to revert back to the way that we farmed back in the 1940s. That's not what I'm what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we need to enable uh, production systems to have space for the the species that are required to enable it to persist into the future. Um, and there are, there have been successful examples of this, such as European innovation partnerships in in. Uh, 
been developed in, in, in Ireland, for example, you know, the, the Hen Harrier project is one example of that. There are a range of different projects around Curlew as well, um, which, I mean, they're not perfect, but they're going in the right direction in terms of bringing about integrated solutions for a complex problem. So the 68% loss in global biodiversity, the, the accumulation of red-listed species as a proportion of our population of birds, this is not an accident and this is not good news. So we need to change the way in which we manage our natural resources, not just around climate change, but also about our biological resources, because these biological resources are the key to the short term and the long term success of our food systems. So you're saying as a scientist, this is very real. This is we're seeing this in the data. Absolutely. There's there's, there's no getting away from this. Uh, there, there are very there, there are very few good news stories around uh, biodiversity loss and around sort of biodiversity. There have been a couple of uh, situations where creatures have been saved some, from extinction, such as the black-footed ferret in the, in the grasslands in the States. Um, but by and large, the news is particularly bleak. And as a scientist, I mean, people might ask you, I'm sure your friends who are non-scientists or whatever, you know, can we turn it around? Can we turn this into a, a better situation uh, using science? Like, there's, there's definitely, in terms of, um, the solutions are there. The, 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 the solutions are there. It's about enabling them and about bringing a, about environments or facilitating the capacity to restore biodiversity on farmland or uh, in the areas that aren't being farmed in like the the, the non-cropped areas that's that's the real sort of uh, scope for success in relation to this because obviously in ireland we want to have a thriving agriculture sector it's so important and we also want to have biodiversity uh, get better so we want to find a way to have both but that's the key as well sean is that you, you need to have a situation that facilitates a thriving rural economy because it is by having people on the land and by the farming uh, and the management of the land in a certain way that has allowed these persi- the persistence of these species for so many years like our most recent creature that went extinct uh, as a farmland bird is a creature called the corn bunting it, its name is linked to agricultural processes it, it nested in the corn where the, where the crop grew it required cultivation to exist and there are many different species like that even corn crake is another example and um, you know, even um, Curlew doesn't want a situation where you have uh, a sort of a situation where um, you have uh, land left abandoned, if you like. So these creatures require activity. They require a rural activity. They require a rural economy. So you need people for these species to exist. And we need somewhere like UCD the, to give the advice or to get the knowledge that can be passed on to people. Yeah, so I mean, our, the way that I see it, my job is to provide the evidence to inform the best management in relation to the persistence of these species and to uh, enable uh, a viable agricultural economy. The other thing that I would say is that land use change and appreciation of land use change such as agricultural intensification or trying to produce too much food out of a system can result in other challenges just beyond biodiversity loss and involve climate change issues. It can also involve water quality issues, soil quality issues. But one of the major ones that has just 
become apparent, we've known about it for a long period of time, is the the spillover of zoonotic diseases. So this is, you know, COVID-19 is, is an example of that. It's pretty clear it came from the food system, if you like. So um, changes in agricultural land and uh, persistence or over, uh, over-pressurised production systems can result in zoonotic diseases. And the, the, the example of these types of zoonotic diseases would be things like E. coli, salmonella, leptospirosis, people would notice as Viles disease in an Irish context. Yeah, so we, 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 we need to be cognizant and maybe to be aware of all of these things and find a way to do agriculture sustainably, I suppose. That's the, the key is to be able to, to align our short-term requirements with our long-term objective of sustainability. So you need to be able to enable short-term uh, existence of people on the land because that's what the... the, the the concern is that, uh, particularly amongst the agricultural lobby, and I totally understand where it's coming from, is that if we make too many drastic changes too quickly, we are going to drive people off the land. And as I said, that's exactly what we don't want. We need people on the land, uh, managing the land in a way that produces food in a sustainable manner that is good for biodiversity, that's good for the climate, uh, that's good for water quality, uh, etc. How optimistic are you as a scientist that we can do what needs to be done in Ireland and around the world? As I said, my optimism comes from the fact that humans have got a magnificent ability to survive. Um, And as I I gave you those three examples in the the form of the plastic bag tax, uh, the smoking in the workplace and COVID-19. So those are my beacons of light in terms of optimism yeah we we do what we need to do exactly thanks barry thanks john let's hear next from helen sheridan who is researching alternatives to perennial ryegrass as an animal feed i began by asking helen why there is a need to find such alternatives so over the last 50 60 years or so um most of the agricultural grassland research has focused on the use of perennial ryegrass, which is one of about 130 grass species that occur here in Ireland. Um, and there's very good reason for that. Ryegrass produces you know, very good yields of, of high quality dry matter. Um, it, it recovers very well following defoliation. It's reliable. We know how to manage it well. But I suppose that the big problem with it is that it's highly dependent on, on nitrogen, uh, applied nitrogen in order to achieve those yields that we know it can achieve. And I suppose that in the past was more acceptable than it is today. Uh, where we now better understand that the more nitrogen you put into a system, the more likely you are to lose some of it to the wider environment, be that to water courses where it can cause pollution, uh, to the surrounding environment where you will lower levels of biodiversity in the surrounding environment with, with high nitrogen inputs, and also as nitrous oxide, a, a greenhouse gas. So it's, it's certainly less acceptable uh, to be using high levels of, of nitrogen. And, and Ireland has, has committed to the measures within the EU Farm to Fork strategy, which has committed to a 20% reduction in the use of fertilisers by 2030. Um, so that's a, a big 
commitment for us to make and it's going to be a big challenge for us. So some of the work we've been doing has focused on using other species in addition to ryegrass within those high productivity swords. So we're not talking about semi-natural or species rich grasslands here but improved agricultural grasslands that can support high stocking rates. So the kind of species we've been looking at would include maybe different grass species like timothy for example as well as the perennial ryegrass but also legumes which have the ability to fix atmospheric nitrogen remembering that about 78 percent of our atmosphere is made up of nitrogen but it's just not in a form that's accessible for growing plants so these leguminous species have the ability to fix it and make it available to other plant species and themselves so it's a kind of a free source of nitrogen if you like and then including forage herbs as well which is another functional group of plants so the kind of species we've been looking at there would include ribworth plantain and also chicory um, so those are the ones we're currently looking at at, at uh, the, the long-term grazing platform at UCD Lions Farm. So the research sounds very promising then, and how would it progress then to the farm, or you know, when would it progress to the farm? Well, we're currently, as I mentioned, uh, working at UCD Lions Farm on this. We have a long-term grazing platform out there where we're investigating animal animals on perennial ryegrass, ryegrass and white clover and a multi-species mix there. That experiment was established in 2019 and will be ongoing for the next number of years. Um, but farmers are already taking up this information and rolling it out onto their own farms. Great. It's, it's a, pl- a space where I think farmers are realising um, that, you know, the, the potential cost savings there for them because, of course, fertiliser nitrogen is a very significant direct cost for farmers as well so if they can do something that helps the environment but also saves them money then it's a win for it's a everybody. classic win-win isn't Absolutely. it that's brilliant yeah. amazing and so are farmers aware of this have you rolled this out through advisory bodies chagask or whatever i mean how does the information get out to the farming community well certainly we have um done a, a significant amount of dissemination by bringing groups into to UCD Lions Farm but also giving webinars and what have you so um good reaction very positive reaction from farmers to date um an increasing number of farmers trying it out on their farms so it's not something that we would tell someone go out and put your whole farm under this but I think they need to to try it and and get experience on their own land with it and in terms of how to establish it and how to manage it and there are challenges with it I mean we do know that persistence of some of the species in the sward is challenging it to try and keep them there in the long term is difficult so that's why we have to try and manage these swords to I suppose um, in terms of the species with the most specific ecological requirements that we meet the needs mm. of that species otherwise there's no point in putting it in the sward uh, but yes persistence of species is challenging and we're we're I suppose our research is focusing on trying to learn how best to manage them um, to promote that persistence over time. 
I suppose other concerns that people would have might be around the lack of post-emergence herbicides that are available. So normally... Sorry, what do you... Now, just so I'm clear, post-emergence is what exactly? So when you re-sow a grassland, if you're going in with ryegrass, for example, perennial ryegrass, the kind of best practice uh, would be to go in with a herbicide once that the grasses start germinating and emerging um, to to control for weeds that might smother the the grass out and and give the grass every chance to establish well uh, and and to develop a good sward. Um, So there's no post-emergence herbicide available that's suitable for multi-species swards. Okay, we Um, need something there. Now, you know, we the work that we've done, we haven't run into any significant problems with with weeds coming on in the swords. And certainly from other work that has been done, other research that's available, uh, would appear to suggest that, that weed burden isn't a huge concern. Um, my, my advice to people is if they suspect they have a weed problem in a sward, then they, they need to deal with it before they put in the multi-species ward right. because there isn't going to be an option afterwards. And then, of course, around the whole establishment of a sward, um, traditionally it would have involved spraying off, ploughing up, tilling the land. Um, we want to reduce the impacts of that process as much as possible. So we've, we have more to learn in terms of can we direct drill these these species in successfully? We're doing some work on that and have done some in the past. Um, but also, is there a possibility of establishing these wards without uh, spraying off with glyphosate, for example, spraying off the existing vegetation? So that's an area that I think we, we need to work on. But that that's the same really for any for grassland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so if we stand back a bit then and look at the big picture then uh, just to finish uh, we have these targets that have to be met this is going to feed into it are you a little bit more optimistic when you see these promising results coming through yeah I think that multi-species words would certainly be a tool in kind of the, the toolbox of things that need to be implemented in order to try and achieve our targets you were listening there to Helen Sheridan Well, that's all for this episode of Agri-Food Matters, the eighth episode in the series. If you'd like to get in touch with us or make suggestions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please email me, Sean Duke, presenter of Agri-Food Matters at seanceduke at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate it or review it on the iTunes podcast platform or any of the other podcast listening platforms on which it's available, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts and Radio Public. Thanks for listening and until we meet here next time, it's goodbye from all of us here at Agri-Food Matters.